We're warming up, but it is good to be present with you. And right now, we're in the middle of a 40-day fast, and that, that video we just watched on prayer, some people, they, they struggle with, okay, now, if I'm praying and fasting for 40 days, I need a little bit of direction in what to pray for. And right now, our denomination, um, Open Bible Churches, they are doing a seven-day prayer and fast that starts today and runs through this next Saturday. And they have kind of presented a key for what to pray and fast for each day. And so if you guys could put that slide up, I'd appreciate it, that what, what, what I encourage you to do, if you are watching online, you could maybe take a screenshot or maybe take a picture of this and just a guide in what you can pray for each day. And we're going to be putting, putting uh, key verses out on social media for each day and how to pray. But today, pray specifically for humility and dependence on God. And then tomorrow it's going to be for revival and awakening in, in and amongst the, uh, the, the people that are around us. And then Tuesday, global impact and unity amongst God's people. Amen. Wednesday, developing, developing leaders. It is key that in order for churches to grow and us to continue to present the gospel to people, that we have new leaders coming in and, and young leaders, one that can carry this torch. Then Thursday, planting churches. You know what? We do not have enough churches. We can, we can use more churches. And then Friday, the next generation, these younger ones who are going to be carrying the torch. And then lastly, Saturday, multiplying the kingdom. You know what? One of God's key commands to, uh, to us we find in Genesis is he said, be fruitful and multiply. And he wants that same principle for his kingdom. And so as we're doing our 40-day prayer and fasting, we're joining with Open Bible this week in believing in God moving mightily. And so please commit to prayer and fasting this week. And we have our 40-day fast schedule here at the church. When you come next Sunday, you can make sure that you get on that for the remaining of our 40 days. But I am so glad you have decided to tune in with us today. And you know, it's not easy to worship God sometimes from the comfort of your home. For many people, the struggle is real. And I, I, I thought, I was thinking about this yesterday. When I tried working out at home, there was the idea of I could go downstairs, set up some workout equipment, but then the reality was my couch was so much more comfortable. And so there, there was a lack of consistency. There were times where I convinced myself I could go downstairs and work out, and other times where I was just too ingrained into maybe what was on television or the fact that the kids were home from school, whatever the excuse might be that day. And so I had to leave the house and go to the gym in order to develop any kind of consistency. And so for you, it could be difficult to be at home and trying to tune in with the Spirit of God. You've got all these comforts of home. I get it. But at the same time, the, the, the reality of what we're facing is we have had a week of storms where I believe we've had some 20-plus inches of snow this week. We are experiencing bitter cold, and so some of you might not have left the house for a few days now. 
And so there's that feeling of isolation. And then on top of all of other life's difficulties, we have our challenges. And sometimes it feels like there is no escape from your problems. And I am telling you today, this message is for you. We have been going through the book of 1 Peter, and we're in chapter 5. And Peter, he is writing to people who are facing persecution. And it is really hard for us to compare our situation in lives to those who are being persecuted for their faith. But what I would like us to do is pick up key elements and truths of what Peter is saying to his people. And so if you would turn to me, 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 11. We're also going to have it available on the screen for you. I'm going to start at verse 6. It says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. And God, if we uh, truly study what it is you are saying, we will find that there are some truths here that if we apply to our life, God, we can live at peace with you. And God, we can go through any difficult circumstance so, Lord, I pray. I, I, I pray for those who are tuning in today that, God, the situations that they're dealing with, Lord, the stresses and struggles, God, that they will put it, be able to put those things through the perspective of serving you. God, I, I praise you and I thank you for this day that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that contained within this section of Scripture today are four keys to carefree living. And it, it stands right out if you search for it. And, and some of these things, you're going, to, you're going to hear it and you're going to say, how does that bring us to carefree living? But I believe that it starts somewhere and then it gets easier as we implement these things into our life. And the first that makes it so obvious, it's right there in verse 6, where Peter says, so humble yourselves that we ought to walk in humility. Now, I believe there is an appropriate relationship between pride and humility. For instance, to be humble, it, it can't be faked. We have seen people with false humility, and I believe it is obvious when someone is walking in a false humility. But if we talk about true humility, it, it can be easy for you to think about situations in our lives that make us humble or make us meek people. But imagine if we let humility not start with, 
our living situation or an embarrassing situation you might go through, maybe losing money or not having the right material possessions as compared to other people around you, but looking at humility as starting with understanding of the power of God in relation to your life. I want to uh, and it's, it's easy to say, but let's look to Christ as the primary example of how we ought to walk in relationship with God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, You must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Well, it's easy to say that it is very hard for us to compare to Jesus Christ and no one ever walked the earth would have persevered with a human perspective to walk with pride, or, 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 or I, I said preserved, I, I meant deserved. I, I want us to think about the position of Christ for a minute. So Hebrews chapter 2 teaches us that Jesus Christ, he was in the realm of heaven, he always has been, and here he was made lower than the angels. So Jesus Christ came down to the earth. He was made lower than the angels, but he was still God. He was fully God and fully man. And I believe it is fair to say that Jesus Christ could have said, you know what? I'm fully God. I can walk with a pride. But he didn't. He humbled himself. And in fact, every situation that Jesus had the opportunity to accept praise and honor, what he did was he deflected that and gave praise to the Father. There was only one time in Jesus' earthly ministry where he took praise, and that was at the triumphal entry. I think the lesson here is that true humility points to God but unbridled pride rests on our abilities. And you hear that word and you're like, unbridled pride? What does that mean? And there is, we, we can read scripture and we can attest to that pride is a sin. But there is a form of pride that is not sinful. And the Apostle Paul mentioned that. If you would look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, We are proud... That our conscience is clear. We are proud of the way that we have lived in this world. We have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity, especially toward you. It was not by human wisdom that we have lived, but by God's kindness. So here, the Apostle Paul, what he is basically doing, he is, he is looking at his pride that is attributed to the things of God, the work that God has done in them, not in and of themselves. My first pastor, I was 27 years old. And even though I was mature for my age at 27, 
Every experience that I had in the church, whether good or bad, I took responsibility for. So for instance, each and every failure that happened in the church, I wore it as my failure. If the tithe wasn't coming in like I expected, I needed to do better. If this was a real situation that happened, if the banjo player at the church decided to yell at me during the service, which that happened, it must have been my fault. And so I was wearing all these things. Or if, if a member of the church disagreed with my view of Scripture, all of a sudden I needed to reevaluate my thinking. Those were the kind of things that I, I, I let weigh upon me. And so everything that went wrong, I wore as my failure. And then one day someone pulled me aside, a, a mentor of mine. And he pointed this out, and I remember what he said so well. He said, if you take credit for all the failures when things are bad, you're going to take credit for all the successes when things are good. And I realized that, that each and everything that I faced, I was not attributing to God, I was attributing to myself. And so even in that, as stressful as life was, as difficult as things were, I was not walking in true humility. And I want to be clear, humility does not mean sorrow. Humility doesn't, doesn't mean this, this piety where we have to walk like we're in this indentured servitude. Yesterday I was watching one of my favorite movies, it was Remember the Titans, and there is a part in the movie where the star linebacker was pulled from the game because he was making an excuse. And the, the, the next game was the state championship, and he went to the coach and he expected to play, and the, the, the coach said, no, you failed your team, you're sitting on the bench. And so he's sitting on the bench, and he is watching the guy who is starting for him, and this guy is failing in coverage. He is not able to cover any of the receivers, and he is just getting beat time and time and time again. Finally, that linebacker that was getting beat, he went to the coach, and he said, Coach, I can't cover him. You need to put Petey back in. And he said, If you want to do that, that's your decision. And that linebacker that replaced him, in his humility, walked up to the star linebacker and said, you need to go in. I'm getting beat. And he didn't do it like, like upset. He did it because he was recognizing there was a greater way to do things. And so he surrendered himself to, for this greater good. As Christians, sometimes we can walk in a little bit of arrogance, believing that we can do things ourselves, that we have control. But I want you to hear me out as, as, as much of a transition it is from that illustration. When we surrender our situation to him, we can find that it is to our benefit and others around us will benefit from walking in humility. Again, humility is not this indentured servitude and being solemn and people look at you as like disgraceful. You can be confident and be humble. 
Humility is appropriating who holds the power in your life. That's attributed to God. The second key to carefree living, and I believe that each one of these, they build on top of each other. The second key is to give your worries to God. Now, when you look at your bank account, I want you to ask yourself, who is the provider of what I have in the bank? And maybe you look at that check, and maybe you are of Social Security age, and you are receiving checks from the government, and obviously you paid into that Social Security, so you deserve that, but you might be looking at that money and saying, well, the government is my provider. Or you might be employed, and you might be looking at the funds, and you're like, my hard work has provided that, or the employer has provided that. Peter is writing to people who have been worrying about their lives. They're being killed. They're being persecuted for their faith. And they were debating leaving their faith. They weren't trusting that God was their provider. And so each and every time that we give in to worries, that is a sign that we are trying to best control our situation. For instance, and going back to that bank account, if you are worrying about where the next funds are going to come to be able to pay for the things that you need to pay for, but you're living a godly life, you're trying to do your best, but you're in a constant state of worry about the future, I would argue you are not trusting God. Now, I want to tell you, here, here is our reality. Worry is not a predictor of what is going to happen in the future, and it doesn't settle the future. And there, there, there's a quote, and I'm sure if you've heard it. It's by Joyce Meyer, and I typically don't care for a lot of things that Joyce Meyer says or does, but something I like that she says is, worry is a down payment on a problem that you may never have. So I want us to grasp that the heart of God is not just that he is more powerful than you, but he cares for your life and he can provide for you. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need.
So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Growing up, I was in a constant state of worry. And over time, it felt like I was almost fighting myself constantly. Thinking about the future and what I can control and trying to control everything, really. And eventually, what I had to decide to do is I had to give up trying to fight what was going to happen for my future. And in order to give up the fight, there are some things that we have to acknowledge. And the next thing I'm going to say, I, I want you to hear me out because I believe it with all my heart. Worry is actually pride in disguise. Worry is pride in disguise. Think about it. Oftentimes in our anxiousness, we become so convinced that we have to rely on our own strength, find the solution to our problems. And so you might argue, I can worry over my situation with God because I've been waiting on him and it hasn't happened yet. I want to tell you that those are lies that come from Satan because when you are called into the presence of God, think about each and every time you enter into the presence of God with all your worries, anxieties, and problems, God always has the same message. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, God, when we enter into his presence, he shows that he cares, that he provides, he restores. He gives us rest. So if in your humility you affirm God is all-powerful, then you also need to accept he has power over your situation. And he is going to provide for you. So the third key to carefree living is to stand firm. You know, Peter applies that two ways here in 1 Peter chapter 5. And the first way he does is stand firm because the, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. And we know that Satan, he does tell us lies, he tries to trick us, and he especially preys on the weak. And so Satan, what he does is he attacks us in our flesh to take the focus off of our spirit. And so if we allow ourselves to focus off of the things of the spirit, what happens is we start looking at our physical realities and we can easily give up. We can easily panic. But something that you need to acknowledge about Satan when we are people who are living in the flesh and not of the Spirit, Satan has power over you. You see, the only way, the only way you can see Satan defeated through you is because of Jesus Christ. And so that is something that takes place in the Spirit. So if you want to walk in the victory of Christ, that nothing can stand against you and win, you have to acknowledge that my flesh is weak and I need to be a person that lives in and of the Spirit. When you do that, you're going to be able to stand firm. When you try and stand on your own without God you are going to find yourself walking in defeat. The other way Peter applies standing firm is to stand firm in your faith. 
Now, how do we stand firm in that? How do we get more deeply rooted in faith? I, I think some things are so clear, such as applying the word of God to our life, that every spiritual victory that we see take place in our life, we allow it to take root in our heart and allow that to be the driving force of who we are, the things that God has done, the things that God is doing, and the things that he will do. But I want to talk about where it starts to be strong. Because so many people are waiting on a miracle of God and believing that's going to thing that deeply roots their faith and propels them forward. But I'm going to tell you, it starts somewhere else. I want to read Psalm 119, verses 10 through 13. It says, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. Standing firm comes from being committed to what God asks of us. We discover that in his word. So, Let's talk again about how it starts. It starts with humility and then accepting that I have nothing to worry about. God has power over me. He has power over my situation. And the Lord can fight my battles because this earthly victory, that's not the goal. Think about it. Even those who believe they have won at life still die. We need to be people who focus on eternal victory. And that's the fourth key to carefree living, is that we, are, we get to share in his glory. You know, we are not created to share in any kind of earthly glory. Christ, he accomplished victory over death, which, which humanly, I want, to think, want you to think, up to that point, has never been achieved until he was sent down to the earth. Victory over death. Everything on this earth decays. Everything eventually dies. Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, eventually died again. Right? And so victory on this earth is temporary. Only eternal things sustain. And so... We only share in glory because of what Jesus Christ has done and that you and I have claimed it. We have no right to it in and of ourselves. We only can share in his glory because of what he has done for us, that he has come and resided in our hearts. And so you and I, what we need to be living for, as Colossians chapter 3 and, and church family, you have heard me say this time and time again, Colossians 3, 1 through 2, I love those verses that we need to focus on the realities of heaven. The realities of heaven. Not the realities of this earth and this life and the things that are going on because we know that this is chaos. We know that these things are decaying. But the realities of heaven, those are things that do not decay. Those things await us. Those things don't change. It is not corruptible, praise God. And so I keep my focus on sharing in his glory. And church, let me tell you, what a day that will be. One day, this struggle in this life, on this earth, 
it's all going to end. God is going to call those who are in Christ home into eternity. And every moment of suffering that we have experienced, it's going to be over. Listen to the hope and joy that Revelation 21, 3 through 7 can bring. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is, a, is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There are many Tuning in today, you've been bogged down with worry, anxiety, these problems in your life that seem to be perpetual. And You know what? I believe all these things are a sign of a much deeper problem. And what I'm going to say next might seem offensive, but I want you to search your heart on this. When you allow these things to consume your life, you don't trust God. And immediately you might hear that and you might reject that, but I don't know if any of you remember the old hair club for men commercial. The guy that did the commercial, he said, I'm not only the president, I'm also a client. I am coming to you as a man who, when I was younger, I had some of the worst anxiety issues. I used to cry myself to sleep almost every night, worried about my situation and what was going on. And let me tell you, it wasn't that bad. But I let so many things overwhelm me. And I was so consumed by hardships and the challenges that I was facing that I would constantly replay these things in my mind, crying myself to sleep and trying to find solutions to all my problems. And everything that I was facing, I didn't have an answer, even though I was constantly thinking about it. And then God eventually awakened me, and he, he said, you're, you're trying to control the uncontrollable. You don't have power over these situations. And you need to trust me. It took a loving God that came alongside me to show me that no matter how hard I tried to search for a solution, he was the only answer to my problems. And so I have had to claim that in my life ever since, from situations with my children to entrusting him with my family to now the groups that I lead all around the world to, to budgeting for two organizations to make sure that everything just works I've had to trust God through all that. And I realize that without God, 
doing this would be impossible. But with God, he makes all things possible. And I'm telling you, you know what? You might be searching for outside sources other than God to try and fix your problem or your situation. But the reality is, the more you try and find those worldly answers to your problems, the more problems you're going to have. The only thing that can take that away and cause you to live, as I described, carefree, is surrendering it over to the God of the universe, the God who created you. The God who in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, he cares for you. Trust and know that he cares for you. David praised God, he said, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He acknowledged that God took time to create him as an individual. That's what God has done for you. And understand that your situation, it might not seem fair compared to someone else. But I believe that God can use you in your situation if you learn the true principles of surrender. Walk in humility. Recognize that, hey, compared to God, I'm powerless. He's all-powerful. Recognize that, that worry isn't getting you anywhere. And because God is all-powerful, because he has created you, that God can also provide for you because his scripture reinforces time and time and time again how much he cares. And he showed his ultimate sign of love and care for you by sending his son, Jesus Christ. So trust that today. And then once you recognize that, once you allow those things to take root in your life, stand firm because Satan is going to attack you. He wants to, to go against your weaknesses, the things that have torn you down time and time and time again. He has seen it. And so he is going to try and attack those weaknesses again. Stand firm in your faith. Know who God has proven he is, promised he is, and promised what he's going to do. And don't let anything cause you to waver in that. And then one day, you're going to find yourself in eternity with him, sharing in his glory. And then you're going to realize that every struggle, everything you went through, was worth it to get to the point where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, where God is going to prove that he is the God of all. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for each and every person that is tuned in today. Lord, that you will just touch their heart. God, you know what they're going through. You know the struggles. And Lord, there, there are many people within the sound of my voice who have gone through things so much worse than I ever have. And God, I believe your heart breaks for them.
But Lord, I, I ask that God, as your presence comes down, that they will sense that peace, that rest, a God who loves and cares for them. And that God, no matter how much they have tried to control their situation, control the outcomes, Lord, if they just learn to let go and give it up to you, that God, you are going to show them how powerful you are, how in control you are, and how much, Lord, you have already cemented our future. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And God, I pray that we can put these principles in our lives to practice. I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, lastly, I, I want to thank you for tuning in with us today. And I, I hope that this message resonates in your hearts. It's a little awkward for us. I am in a room with just five other people. And so it, it, it's a little challenging. But I just I want to thank you. And I, I, I pray that God keeps you safe because these temperatures are, are nothing to mess with. Hopefully here in five minutes, we're going to go out, start our vehicles, and they actually start. So please pray for us. And I just hope to see you this next week. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. And there are quite a few that have said they want to be baptized. And so next Sunday is going to be a celebration. We'd love to have all of you in-house so we can celebrate with those who are publicly confessing their faith to Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in today. Church, God bless.